Welcome. You are listening to Intentional Conversations from Nika White Consulting, an encore presentation of our weekly podcast where we intersect diversity, equity, and inclusion with leadership and business. Let the conversation begin. If you've been with us for quite some time, you know that before I jump into dialogue and conversation with our guest co-host, I always like to take a moment to read my co-host full bio. That is so important to me because I want you all as our um, valued community to know the accolades, the credentials, the experiences in which our guest co-host show up to the conversation with. And so today is going to be no different. Um, so at this time, I want you to turn your attention um, as I give you a little bit of background on Dr. Mary B. Rice Booth. Mary Rice Booth has more than 25 years of experience in education as a teacher, a principal, um, a principal coach, curriculum designer, and an equity officer. She currently serves as an executive director of curriculum development and equity at the Leadership Academy, a national nonprofit organization. In this role, she oversees the organization's internal and external equity strategy. She is also the lead designer for the organization's instructional tools and resources. Her book, Leading Within Systems of Inequity in Education, a liberation guide for leaders of color, was published just earlier this year, March of 2023, by ASCD. And for those of you who may not be familiar, that's Association for Supervision and Curriculum Development. And so I want you to find those accolades, find those emojis, whatever it is that you feel is appropriate to help me to welcome Dr. Mary B. Rice Booth. And uh, let's just do that at this time so that she knows that we are so appreciative of her time, of what we know is going to be um, a lot of value that she's going to share to the conversation. And um, and just for, for being here with us to share uh, information that I know is going to make us better. So um, welcome, Dr. Mary. I am so glad that you're here. Thank you for accepting our invitation. And um, I would love to get you to greet this audience in your own way. And one of the things that we often ask our guest co-hosts to do as they're thinking about how they may want to show up for this audience and greet the audience is to consider sharing something that we would not know about you from reading your bio, as I just did, or mm -hmm. from even looking at your LinkedIn profile. So this helps us to have a deeper connection to you, get to know you a little bit better, but welcome. So glad you're here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Um, good morning, everyone. Happy Friday. I'm very excited to have made it to the end of the week. It's been a it's been a long one, um, which I'm sure for many folks can relate to. Um, and I think if by looking at my profile, you probably know that I'm a runner. That's something that I do a lot for my own self-care. Um, something you, you definitely, I know, is not on any type of social media is that I'm a big fan of, of rom-coms, romantic comedies. Um, <laughs> And it's funny because I, I used to, and I still make fun of my mother for like being the Miss Hallmark. You know, she like loves Hallmark, but I feel yeah. like I'm I'm getting to that space as well. And I think probably because being in the space that we're in and doing the work that we're doing, you don't yeah. know the ending, right? Like you don't know how this is going to go. You don't know how, you know, we don't have a, there's nothing, you know, that the bow ties and puts it all together at the time yeah. that we're you know, engaging with a client. It's something about romantic comedies. You know how it's going to end, right? You like kind of have, you know how this is all going to happen. You get to laugh in the middle of it. You get to enjoy, you know, you know, get to see the romance. Um, so yeah, I just love being able to kind of switch off my mind um, and enjoy um, a bit of uh, romance and, and comedy um, at least once in my week. So I love that. That is great. I'm trying to think of some of my favorite because, yeah, it's not that I necessarily just that that's my genre that I go to, but there are a number of them that um, I have really enjoyed. Do you have a favorite? My favorite favorite is probably uh, Love and Basketball. That's an old oh one. Oh, my gosh. That is such a classic. Yes. <laughs> yes. Love and Basketball is definitely a classic. You know, I would have necessarily considered it to be comedy. There were some moments that certainly had a lot of levity to it, but I think it's just a classic. Love and basketball. It's Nye Lathan and um, Omar Epps, right? Yep, right? Yep, yep. Oh, yes. No, they're they're amazing. It's definitely a classic. So if you don't know it, you need to check it out. Love and exactly, basketball. Exactly. I can watch that on repeat. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, great. Well, thank you for sharing that tidbit with us. Um, so as I shared in your bio, you have over 25 years of experience in various educational roles. And so, 
I would love for you to take us on a journey of understanding, Dr. Mary, um, what initially drew you to a focus on equity in education? And how has your perspective, now that you've been working um, in this space for 25 years, evolved? Yeah. And I think I, I, I know that I started in the education space because of equity. So in, I was born and raised in Wisconsin. And in my K-12 experience, I never had a teacher that looked like me. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I never had kind of, and so I and remember my 11th grade teacher, um, American history teacher introduced me to Zora Neale Hurston. And that was the first time in class that I had a book that was written by a black woman, had black characters in it, and it completely like transformed my experience within the school. Like outside of school, I was reading kind of folks, you know, books that 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 um that were written by black authors, but never inside of school, right? And so, yeah. it, right, you know, it transformed me so much that I named my daughter Zora because it like, you know, um, impacted <laughs> me. And so when I graduated, I didn't think I was gonna become a teacher. Like it, I, you know, I had this whole other trajectory that I was going in, um, but you know, my mom always knows. She's like, I knew you were gonna be a teacher. <laughs> um, and so I, I just, I was drawn to wanting to be able to have a different, give a different experience than I had, right? And I knew the impact of when I did finally have a, 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 a Black teacher in college, how transformational that was to see myself reflected. Um, and so that's, so I became a teacher because I wanted to be able to kind of be part of that diversity um, within um, this, the K to 12 system. And I, I, I continue to realize how much um, and the need for impact, right? So initially I was like, okay, I just want to focus on, you know, I just want to be the, you know, that reflection. I want to, you know, be able to support my classroom. And then I realized, okay, this is bigger than just my classroom, right? I need to be able to impact more in order for my students to be successful. So then I went into leadership and became a principal. And then I, like, and then I re recognized like, okay, this is a systems issue, right? Like it's not something again, right? That I can just <laughs> manage right within my classroom. Right. Right. And so then that's how I really kind of landed um, into the space of being a systems level leader. And then I right from the beginning was always talking about the fact of the need for our black and brown students to be successful, um, to be really kind of cared for and centered. Um, and so when I landed into the equity officer role in 2018, I was like, OK, I finally just got the title to match the job that I was already doing, right? And so I feel like it was always, that was always my trajectory. That was always my focus and, and why I wanted to, to be in this role. Um, but just finally had kind of had the match between title and, and the work that I was doing. No, I, I love all of that. And you use the word transformational in terms of seeing someone reflected in the identity that you have um, in that role. It, it really is transformational. And we hear that across so many different industries and definitely education as well. I think that probably if we were to poll this audience, and in fact, I, I want to do it right now, especially for those who are part of underrepresented, or I like to say underestimated populations, you probably can recall the name each of us can that fit that description of the first teacher that was a non-white teacher, right? Yep, exactly. and, and I certainly recall mine. Her name was Mrs. Bobo. Until this day, um, I can still think back to so many different examples of how my educational experience under her tutelage, under her leadership was so memorable. It was so impressionable. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that we, we need to continue to amplify the importance of uh, having educators that are well-represented across so many different demographics because that is that is critical um and so did you come from a family of educators or I did not no I'm well, a first generation um college degree um but you know is it I think I go back to the story that my, my parents were both um you know their families were sharecroppers in Arkansas so they're you know they picked cotton like at starting at age three to five years old um and so they um and, and they went to school based on the cotton picking season, right? So they only were in school when cotton, when they couldn't couldn't be workers, right? And so I but so for them, education was so critical um, to to um, to recognizing that this was the way out for them, right? Yes. So they you know they did everything in their power to ensure that my you know I'm the youngest of four um, that all of us had we put school first. 
Um, and so, mm. yeah, because of that, you know, all, all four of us have college degrees um, oh. and are the, you know, but that are the first generation of, 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 uh, of college graduates, um, first generation of high school graduates and college oh. graduates. Yes. I love yeah. that. And and what you're amplifying is that all it takes is kind of one and then you can bring so many others along with you. And that is that is how we can create that level of change. If you don't know to have it into your consideration set, it's not going to find its way into being actualized. And so um, I appreciate all that you're you're sharing to this conversation. So I want to get into your book, your book, baby, as we yes. were chatting. Before we went live. Um, yeah. it, and it's so funny because Dr. Mary and I were talking about the fact that, uh, you know, really it is a book baby, but when we think about sometimes the length of time, it's it's longer than nine months. And so yes. the yes. line was, yours probably was as well. And so, uh, but yes, we, we have book babies. And so congratulations to you on your, your release of Leading Within Systems of Inequity in Education, a liberation guide for leaders of color. And I'm sure that you are very intentional about that title and including the word liberation finding its way into it. And I yeah, love that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I want you to share with us, because it goes along with the story I'm sure that you've already started sharing, but what inspired you to write this guide? Yeah, yeah, exactly. We I definitely went back and forth to, with my publisher on, on the title and definitely advocated for that liberation to be part of it. <laughs> I was like, no, we have to have that word in there. Um I mean, it, it does start with kind of that um, 2018 uh, moment when I became a, an equity officer in my nonprofit organization. Um, and before then, I led a very traditional kind of path um, in, in my in my career. And in every role, I was I had lots of books, lots of conferences, lots of kind of guides to how to do that. Right. So you, it's very clear how to become a teacher, how to be do that teacher job. It's very clear how to do that principal job. Right. Um, but, but being an equity officer, there it was not that clear, right? Um, you know, you just put into this role and be like, can you, uh, you know, can you roll back 400 years of oppression? You know, um, just okay, real quick. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Can you just make us, you know, an equitable organization just real, real quick? Um, and so it was the first job that I had that did not have a very clear roadmap. Right. Um, and so I was trying to to figure that out. And my my um my uh always the thing that I always go to is like, okay, so somebody must have done this in the past, right? Like I, I was an English teacher, but I always wanted to be a history teacher. So I'm like, there's gotta be something back there in history that is telling me how to do this job. And so um, and as well as at the same time that I was becoming in this role, a lot of my peers were also assuming similar roles, right? Um, across across the um, in the K twelve space as well as in the nonprofit space. So I just started talking to people. I was like, "How are you doing this? How are you approaching this?" Um, and in these conversations, every single time, I left so fulfilled. Like it was like it was. I just like they just poured into me, kind of what they were doing. And then they also was like, "Well, who else are you talking to? What else is happening?" Right? And so. It was just this experience that I felt like I can't keep this to myself. Like these conversations are great. I'm I'm really benefiting from them. And I'm hearing that others want to hear from this too. Um, and mm. so that was really kind of the genesis of of this of this book was just like, how do I ensure that the the next group of folks that assume this type of role um, and assume this type of um, or not even that you're just in an equity officer role by title, but you're you're responsible for changing our system, our K twelve system, and you're living in the skin that we're in, um, and that intersection is um, it creates a very unique experience, right? Um, and so, how do you ensure that they feel as if they have something to help guide them? Um, and so that was kind of really the the genesis and the opportunity to kind of put that put all these stories together um, um, for people to be able to say. I'm just like, let me give get something that I wish I had, <laughs> right? Yeah, um, be yes. able to give back um, to those folks um, that are, are are just starting off, or with the folks that just like need something to keep right. them as well. Right. Well, I'm so glad that you decided to not gatekeep, right? Sometimes we can keep stuff to ourselves and it can be so useful to others. And I think that's yeah. such a great way to just be an ally and to help to just facilitate more um, of a collective um, approach to some of the challenges that we're seeing that are deeply steep within our systems. And so, so thank you for writing this book. In your book, Dr. Mary, you do talk about um, leadership competencies for DEI. 
And um, I would love for you to just, um, to the extent in which you feel comfortable, because I know that we want people to go get the book. And by the way, we have shared it into the chat. So we're not going to give you all the things, but I will I will ask Dr. Mary to share maybe just a few of them that um, particularly you have found that's resonating really well with your readers. Yeah. Um, so there, there are 10 altogether and they're, they're broken up into kind of three categories. One is just kind of what you need to do individually as a leader of color, right, to, to be able to thrive within an equitable system. And then there's the interpersonal parts, so kind of one, you know, competencies that you do with others. And then there's the kind of the institutional systemic parts, so things that you need to do in order to really change the system that you're in. Um, so I'll start off with one that's in the individual that, that um, people resonate with a lot, which is practice love and rage. Um, and that's a big one for folks because first of all, uh, folks are like, you're asking me to do emotion, <laughs> yeah. um, you know? Um, and I know that for me, when I kept, I heard, kept hearing everybody that I was, was talking to kept talking about leading with love. And I was like, mm, I don't do that. Like, I don't do, you know, I was, when I, and remember when I became a principal, I was so worried about being labeled the angry black woman that yeah. like, it's just like, Right. Like I try to like keep that emotion. Yeah, exactly. You know? Hold that in. Right. Right. Exactly. And that's how we're taught too, right? Like that's we're how we're taught. Exactly. Like leave the emotions out of this, right? And just just do your job. Um, and so I really had to kind of reflect myself about like, was I actually leading? Like what what type of emotions was I leading with or not leading with um when I was in a, a leadership role? And you know, again, at my my high school that I was a principal of was over age and undercredited students. So we were kind of the last stop before, yeah. Yeah. you know, before they kind of got their GD. So I recognized the fact that I actually was leading with love. Like I had to love these kids in order to kind of get them to that finish line. Um, and then I recognized the fact that yet yeah, that um, equally, I was angry and had to be angry with the system that we were in, in order to actually move to action, right? And so I couldn't, because a lot of times we we get into some, sometimes we get into a leadership role and we just sit there, right? I'm just like, I'm good. I got to the table. I'm comfortable. Let me just like, you know, keep going. And so, and I had to realize the fact that um, if I'm not angry about the inequities that are happening um, within our our system, then I can't actually move to action. Um, and so I think, yeah, so I think the uh, the the love and rage one is something that um, leaders are like always like wonder about because they're like that's not how I was I was raised. <laughs> you don't do that. Um, <laughs> And then, but then when we start unpacking it, they, they, uh, they really appreciate the fact that like, yeah, actually I need emotions to get this job done, right? Yes. Like, I, need, I need to tap into my emotions and love and rage are just two of them, right? But like, I need all of that emotion um, in order to be able to keep going. Um, so that's a, that's a, definitely a, a big one um, that folks resonate with. Um I think the um, moving to the side of the um, institutional one, I think one that people struggle with is the one that's like take a stand, right? Especially in our current political climate, um, a lot of folks are just like, I don't know about that. I have a pension I have to worry about. I have kids to go to get into, <laughs> you know, pay their tuition, right? Yes. You know, they're like, I'm not quite sure if I'm if I'm willing to kind of do what you're asking me to do, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I want to always emphasize is that the, like you're taking a stand is is a is a spectrum, and it's going right. to look different, you know, for you today versus next month, next year, right? Um, and the fact of you know, I'm I'm not asking everybody to be marching in the streets and to be you know have picket signs. That's there for some folks. That's what taking. That's what it looks like for them. Right. But there's also right. But there's also the folks that are in the boardrooms or that are at the table, right? And they're taking a stand is going to be probably more incremental, right? More kind of like is going to take a longer time. And I think um, when we white supremacy is those two people fighting against each other, right. and just letting everything else is just you know kind of going on before versus like actually you know what I need to actually be in conversation with the person taking the picket stand by right? being um, on the streets outside and say, okay, what is your strategy? This is my strategy. How do we work in, in community together versus fighting against each other? Absolutely. Yeah. So I think that's yeah. a, 
another one that people kind of um, have to grapple with and unpack um, and see kind of this is where I am um, at this particular time. Um, and the last one I'll introduce, um, I skipped over this. I, I'll go back to the interpersonal one, um, which is around is creating a coalition. Um, and that I think is a is essential component to to out to the to, to this work in no matter what industry that you're in, right? So um, you know, I always struggle with the kind of the 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 black girl magic idea because I think that kind of amplifies the fact that we have to be super people. Um mm -hmm. and, and we're not, right? We're just regular people um, and we don't have to do everything on our own, right? Um, and we should be have we should be able to do this in community um, and multiple communities um, are necessary. Multiple um, coalitions are necessary um, in order for us to be, um, to be successful. So the importance of really being strategic and thoughtful about who is in your, in your corner, um, but making sure that you have um, folks that are, that are in your corner um, and that will have the meeting before the meeting with you in order to be able to kind of get the work done. That is so rich and so much is coming up for me. So I just want to take a moment to kind of process what I'm hearing and, and, and comment on what I'm hearing. The first thing is, um, is your book is, is really coming from a place of um, how to show up from an education center. But, you know, to your point, you've also alluded to this. These are competencies for DEI leaders. Um, and even if people don't have DEI in their title, they're just competencies for leadership in general, no matter what the industry is. And so yeah. I love the fact that this full circle moment is, is surfacing because I want everybody to get this. You know, there may not be folks that are in the education, you know, sector that's on this call or going to be privy to this with the replay or the podcast. But um, these are just leadership principles that I think that we all can benefit from. And I love that. I want to talk about love and rage. I think that is just beautiful. Um, you know, as you were describing the importance of we need to feel our emotions, we need to allow our emotions to come forth, because um, when we do so, we, we often find that we can lead with empathy and compassion. But then sometimes that may um, facilitate a certain response. But then other times that rage and that anger and that just dissatisfaction and that just, it really speaks to our, our belief system, right? Our convictional mm -hmm. nature. And so that can elicit a, a different type of response. And sometimes to your point, we need all of those responses, right? To yeah. be able to drive towards change. And I love that. It's really highlighting the importance of um, EQ, emotional intelligence yes. um, as a leader and, and that being a part of a leader's um, makeup and how in which they show up. I also love that it centers humanity. As humans, we do have all these mixed emotions. And we know that we hear people talk often about leading the work and DEI really requires us to be human-centered, right? I think that we we need to get back to that. And um, so I love that it amplifies that in so many different ways. Um, and so, yeah, and then take a stand. That's really, that's very, very relevant to your point of what we're kind of addressing right now. Everybody's um, way of leaning in and processing and trying to be a part of a solution can look vastly different. We have to respect people's lanes, respect how in which they arrive at what they feel like they're best to do and in what capacity. Um, and then the last one was about um, interpersonal, you know, doing things in coalition um, as this collective unit. I think that we can't um, say that enough because no one is going to create significant change of impact that really can sustain itself by doing it in silo. So we need more people, more voices around the importance of coalition. I also found your um, what you mentioned about Black Girl Magic. I never thought about it in that way. Um, and I do love a really good reframe. But what's interesting about it is, again, the perspective of, of diversity and how we all can land at and interpret things differently. Every time that I hear Black Girl Magic, I always hear that. It, it always lands on me that what whatever you're doing, just know that you are enough, right? And sometimes it does come in the context of people doing what may be perceived as miraculous things or things that are superhuman. But um, so I appreciate you you opening my my mind to the fact of um, the potential um, um, compromise, I guess, that also it can create if we aren't careful to put it into the right context. And so, um, so thank you. Thank you so much for that. So I'm going to tell y'all, if you are not convinced that these three principles are worthwhile getting the book, I'm not sure what's going to move you because... <laughs> 
I definitely think that this is um, an appropriate, you know, book for all of us who are looking to just lead um, in in a much more effective way um, for for all of those that we we may find um, under our in our sphere of influence. Okay, so um, I'm going to be shifting in a little bit to take questions from the audience, but I have a few more thoughts that I would love to engage you on, um, yeah. Dr. Mary. So I want to talk about, um, and we touched on this a little bit, but perhaps there's more you want to say, how although this is for the work of DEI leaders um, in the K through 12 space, again, as we just mentioned, it is much broader than that. So how have you found uh, the general population of people outside of the education realm engaging with this book? And are people seeing it as I'm not in that space, but yes, I need to get this book. Cause I think that's a really important message that I want to amplify. And yeah. I want to give you a chance to kind of talk about it as well. Yeah. I'm, and it is true. And it's, um, and it has it initially was a little bit surprising, right? So I was very clear about kind of like who's the audience and kind of what's the you know the goal. And then I had um, that I had folks um, in the nonprofit space in the in the for profit space read it, and they're just like, this is relevant, right? Like we are we're, number one, we all work within inequitable systems, right? Like the yeah. uh, you know education system is not the only one, <laughs> the only right. system, right? That's that's inequitable. So like we are we're all working in these white spaces. Um, and number two, you know, folks that, um, you know, consider themselves, again, this was a, a fight with my publisher, I would have liked to call leaders of the global, global majority, but we went with leaders of color. Um, but if you, you know, whatever, you know, whatever phrase you utilize, you understand that friction. Right. So, yeah. Right. Yes. Right. You understand the fact of like having to kind of negotiate your way through your work. Right. And you recognize the fact of like some days, you know, sometimes you, you know, you wake up and you're like, I'm, I'm doing this. This is great. And some days you're just like, I'm not quite sure if I can do this anymore. Right. And so we are all, you know, all feeling that. And so I feel like even though the and the stories that people are sharing. So again, I, every chapter starts with kind of a, a profile of a particular um, leader within the K-12 system, but then also throughout it, I, I share a lot of um, different anecdotes. And again, those stories, even though they may be, you know, couched in a K-12 system, people resonate with like, I, that's been me, right? Like I've been the person that has been experiencing this even in my, you know, in my healthcare system or in the nonprofit space or in the corporate space, right? So the, even though the the um, environment may be different, the stories stay the same. And I think that's, um, I think that's what um, I want to amplify is that um, it definitely, there's, there's definitely a lot of crossover there um, in regards to experiences. And then um, I really tried to make the book as concrete as possible. So I don't just kind of like lay out like these are the problems that we're dealing with, but like under each competencies, I really try to make it like every kind of a, a set of actions that you can do in order to actually achieve that competency. And so people, that concreteness, I think is again, also transferable to whatever inequitable system that you're in. Absolutely. That practicality, you know, don't just tell me what, tell me how. Yeah. Tell me how that's, that's very much um, important. Um, so, okay. I'm going to ask another question, but I do want this audience to be aware that I'm going to be turning it over after I ask this last question um, to invite you to share in the conversation. And you can do that a number of ways. If you're here live, a part of our zoom community, you can use the raise hand feature. And that lets me know that you're willing for me to spotlight you and to invite you to unmute yourself and share your comment or question. Um, or if you want to just go to the chat and share your question. We will um, present it on your behalf um, in the allotted time that we have. If you're joining us via LinkedIn Live and you have a question, go to the comment section. My team is watching that closely and we'll bring it over into the chat here to make sure that we do not leave you out, right? We're glad you are uh, here with us in whatever capacity and where you're joining us from no matter which platform. Um, so I'll give you time to percolate on that um, while I go to my next question. So given the evolving landscape of education, what are some of the pressing challenges that you see, Mary, DEI officers in K-12 education space currently face, and how are they addressing these hurdles, or how yeah. should they be? <laughs> Right, right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm in Texas. So um, and I work with <laughs> other folks in Texas. I work with folks in Florida. Um, you know, uh bless you, bless you, bless you. <laughs> Tennessee, you know, Iowa. Um, yeah. So I think that the biggest hurdle now is that we um we have a, a 
you know, be, even if we didn't have a target in our back before, we have a, a even bigger target, right? Um, and so we see a lot of folks who whose job and roles are being considered, you know, oh, they're illegal. Um, oh, you know, you're harming our kids, right? Like, so there's a, you know, I, I, unfortunately, I just kind of did a, a, a new series of interviews with a couple of folks and just the the level of personal attack that our folks are experiencing um, is just at an all-time high right now. Um, mm -hmm. And so um, I think that's a, the biggest challenge. And what I what I so appreciate about, about all these folks is it's not deter deterring them though, right? Like they just like, but this is this is my work. I, okay, may I may have to change my title. So we, I, you know, my folks yeah. that are in Florida have all changed their title. None of them have diversity, equity, or inclusion in their titles. You know, completely different. But they're still doing the work, right? And Different. so, yeah. um, I think for them, it's just a matter of like how. Um, now they're trying. The you know we've, you know we we've don't even have a clear path, right? Or like we don't have a a framework, and now we're having to reach change in a framework, right? And kind of how to do this this work. Um, in a completely different way. Um, to keep going despite all of the um the noise, right? I just call it. Um, right. That they're experiencing. So I think that's the biggest challenge, um, particularly for and recognizing the fact that our students are still our students, right? And our students are still in need of so many supports and services. Um, and so how do I how do I make sure that I keep centered on my students that I'm working with, um, just despite everything that that's, that's happening. So I think that's the, the biggest, um, the biggest challenge. And unfortunately, some folks um have have decided that it's not. It's, yeah. um, it's not worth it, right? And so um, what I always find interesting though is that these folks that are leaving, they're not leaving the work, right? They're not, yeah. they're not leaving and be like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm done with supporting, you're not helping students right. anymore. I'm not gonna do that. But they're just leaving the institution. Yeah. The education system, right? So I think it's a, it's a huge call to action for our education systems in regards to like, how are you actually, how are you taking a stand, right? Like, how are you ensuring that um, the work that is so necessary continues despite um, all of the, um, all the, the, um, the, the pushing back that we're receiving from our communities, from our state um, legislatures. So yeah, I love how you brought that that competency number two into it. To, just for the folks that need to hear it as well. How are you taking a stand? Right. I I, I love that. And and I I will say this. Um, there are some that could hear that type of information, and maybe the inclination is to shame or guilt or 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 to criticize those who are leaving. And I I often say that until we are in individual shoes, we really should reserve um, that, that criticism for, for a time where we are much more educated on, on that direct lived experience. Because, you know, we all have to decide for ourselves what kind of emotional capital we have and how we okay. best can, can um, have impact that we're seeking. And sometimes that may mean shifting from that official role, but then doing the work in another way. And so I, I'm glad that you amplified that because I think it's important for, for this community to, to hear that. Um, yes. And even if it means having to reimagine how the work is done, um, yeah. if the title has to change and go away, just still stay focused on the work. And so I'm so glad to hear you say, I'm actually encouraged to hear you say that from your vantage point, your experience has been that even with the changes, the commitment of those that were really sold out for um, the, the, the the purpose and the intent of, of equity and inclusion, um, they, they haven't wavered on that. You know, they haven't yeah. wavered on that. And and I, I think that that's important for us to hear, especially in those challenging states. And by the way, I'm not picking on those states. I know I said, bless you, but here's the thing. There's so many other states that are just right in line behind the ones yes. that were named. And exactly. we know that. And so yeah. if, if we're thinking, I'm cool, I'm not in that state. I'm so glad. Um, I, I want you to re rethink that because what happens in any of those states certainly have the impact to um, dictate what could happen in other states. And so we can't mm -hmm. close our eyes to it and assume that we can um, not play a role in being a part of the solution. So 
So thank you so much for sharing all of that. Okay, so I'm not seeing any hands raised so far. Maybe people are still kind of thinking about what kind of curiosities they have, which is totally fine because I have more questions for you, Dr. Mary, and I'm going to keep it rolling. I'm just going to okay. keep it rolling. Um, so this is a question that um, I'm just curious about. And, and I would imagine that with all of your um, your scholarship, you, you may have a sense of this. So this equity role, right, within KVU-12 has not always existed. I mean, we know that DEI has not always existed. But I am curious about your knowledge of when did it find its way into K through 12? And are you seeing that there's still, because I would imagine that there are, but there's still a, a large percentage of, of school districts that do not have this role in this function. And so mm -hmm. what, what do you, what from your knowledge do you know is being done maybe to help um, foster greater intentionality around bringing that type of function and role to the school systems, K through 12? Yeah, yeah. It's um actually it's actually surprising actually how early it started. So actually um the 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 initial ones obviously you have it it started obviously in the um, federal government first and kind of moved to um moved to yeah. you know your healthcare and um for profit spaces. But um the earliest ones that I, I have um learned about has been actually um during the um segregation um desegregation and busing in Boston. Right. Mm -hmm. And kind of in those and around those spaces where obviously it's very clear there was a need for us to be able to right. have direct um support um and conversation and working with different communities. And so that is when um you started seeing those roles in the K-12 space. So during okay. um, right after, you know, and, and during during that time. Yeah. Yeah. Um and and it, it obviously exploded in 2020. And so now you have the space then that I think it's probably um out of the top largest maybe like the large the fifth top 50 largest districts about over 80 percent of them do have a designated equity officer role got it um, got it so what you have seen though is that for majority of those roles when um so they were usually positioned to to um to uh, report directly to the superintendent or CEO, whatever title that that top person mm -hmm. used. Um, we've seen recently that there's been a lot of, of reorganizations where that role is not now, has kind of been lowered or minimized. So they're now being placed in HR or over in teaching and learning. So they don't have a, a yeah. they may have like a dotted line to the superintendent, but they don't have a direct line to the superintendent. And I think yeah. that has also caused a lot of folks to exit when they are seeing that shift and kind of prioritizing where they sit. Um, they say, okay, I see that you're not as committed to this work as, you know, the, the prior, a lot of times also the, the superintendent and equity officer, um, when the superintendent leaves, the equity officer leaves. Like that has mm -hmm. been also um, a lot of um, trends that have happened is, is, is um, one exits right after the other one. Um, so that's yeah. kind of where, kind of where, what I'm noticing um, in regards to the work. So it's always been around. It's been around for a while. It's just a matter of kind of how it exploded um, in 2020. Right. Yeah. I see. No, that's really that's really interesting. And the the parallel here is, you know, we see the same, of course, in, in nonprofits and 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 for-profit organizations where um you know, the role where it may have been reporting directly into the CEO. Now maybe it's a CHRO or it's a different department head. And there's so many different philosophies. Um, and and I, I will save mine for today, but there's so many different thoughts and criticism about the how that really can compromise the work. Um, yeah. But yeah, so it's interesting to me that you're seeing the same parallels within, um, you know, the, the school system. So mm -hmm. uh, so you have a, a newsletter, a Substack newsletter, and I know that you are really committed to providing um, very rich resources, particularly to those who are on the path of being able to do this work and do it well. And so I want you to talk a little bit about uh, how you choose your topics and how people in this community can get connected to your newsletter. Um, mm -hmm. So share with us a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, so I started it um, been over a year ago um, and initially just started it as a way to to prom to promote the book. Right. And just kind of um, share different um, conversations, um, even though I um, I interviewed over 30 folks um, and not everybody had a ch got in the book at the final you know time. So I'm like, I have all this content. Let me, you know, let me try to share it out. So um, in every um, 
every twice a month, I highlight a leader of the global majority. So I kind of share a, a bit of the interview that I did. Um, I do a check-in um, and my check-in is usually just kind of what I'm experiencing um, yeah. or what, what I'm doing um, in my work. Um, and a lot of times that check-in is connected to what's happening in the world around us, right? Or what's, what's happening in my world um, and get kind of giving people a little bit of a call to action, right? So as we experiencing this, what are you doing as a leader in order to, to um, um, and in your journey and kind of your expectations. Um, and then I end with a, a couple of resources. So um, I am a big, I'm a big reader. Um, so I, and I know that um, I have the, the privilege of um, having time um, to read that others <laughs> don't. So I usually try to highlight kind of a, a, a book that's, you know, in our space that people may want to be reading, but can't read. So I try to give a little bit of a, a reader profile, uh, a book profile, and then um, a couple other resources for folks to be able to, um, to, to connect with as well. And so for me, I try to really, uh, again, understanding the fact that a lot of folks that are doing this work are very busy and would yeah. love to be able to read all the stuff and, yeah. and digest all the things, um, but just are not having time. And I think what resonates with people the most is actually that um, that leader profile in it. So um, when I, the feedback that I've gotten is people really appreciate hearing from other folks that are in the work and in the role and how yeah. are they managing things. So that's always that's all been the feedback so far that people really like to to see those interviews. And they're again they're I make them really short. So again, yeah. you can you can just scroll really quick on your phone um, to do that, you know, to read that interview. Um, but people, um, yeah, so that's uh, something that I started and now I, I really appreciate that practice um, and starting kind of thinking about, okay, so what is it that I want to share? And the, what am I hearing also from the, um, the other leaders that I'm interacting with on a hey. daily basis and kind of bringing that all together um, and sharing that out in the newsletter. Absolutely. Well, great. Well, we did share a link to um, your newsletter into the chat. And so we do invite um, our audience to check that out and share it with others as well. Um, so you've had so much extensive research, Dr. Mary. Um, and I know that you interviewed over 30 equity officers as you were in K-12 education as you were preparing for your book. And you've you've addressed some of the, um, the larger kind of recurring themes, but are there any other challenges that stood out to you that you think is important to socialize with our community? here yeah um, I mean I think the the biggest one is is support and resources and re right and I think yeah. that again um the way that they're set up in our space and, and I'm sure it's set up in other spaces where you are the kind of the you are the department right um yeah. and so a lot of times um folks in this role don't have don't have teams um and don't have like a separate budget that they're working with in order to be able to kind of do the work that they're once again, so much parallel. A lot of things do not change. <laughs> as fortunate as it is, yes, continue. Right, <laughs> right, exactly. And so it's just like you know, I'm like, so a lot of folks come and say like, I'm being set up to fail, right? Like you know, basically, yeah. right. So um, I think for them, it is it is the challenge. Like, so how do I make the best use of what I have and what I have access to, right? And so a lot of times I am. Um, have the fortune to to coach a lot of equity officers and just kind of helping them think through what are the you know what are the um, relationships that I need to cultivate in order to be able to then build a, you know I, I may not have my own team but let me try to like pull from different places um, to be able to help to tap into other folks that are interested in doing this work that you know are willing to to be supportive and then also tap into um, other and be creative and unique in regards to how they also find funding streams so a lot yeah. of yeah. are really thinking about, you know, and pulling from grants and, and other type of uh, funds in order to be able to, 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 to be able to do the work because recognize the fact that they cannot do it by themselves. Um, Absolutely. And they need Absolutely. that partnership. Yeah. So I am, I'm headquartered in Greenville, South Carolina, and I know that um, we are seeing in this market a lot of other entities outside of the education sector that are getting involved in helping to solve for some of these, these issues, particularly as it relates to support and funding. Our United Way um, of Greenville County is really involved, and they have helped to develop, you know, special programming like on track because, you know, we can't just think about the, um, the, the education aspect. We have to think about the holistic, all of the other things, all of these mm -hmm. other determinants 
contaminants that could um, be impacting a child's ability to learn or not learn. And it reminds me of a time that I was um, facilitating a session for a group of, of folks that are in education, whether it's the classroom or just administration. And there was a really heartbreaking story of a teacher that was expressing her appreciation for just being exposed to the information because she said, um, we'll call him little Johnny. Um, she was mentioning a student in her class that she says, I feel like I'm going to have to fail him. It was a little black boy. And she said, um, and this was a, a white teacher, a white woman teacher, but she said that um, she she finally would just got fed up and she she called and she said, I've, I've been trying and trying and trying. I'm finally glad that I got you, mom. She says, I need to understand what's going on. Little Johnny's not turning his homework. He's not engaged, this, this, and that. And she said, the mom just sat in silence and then finally said, what you need to know is that little Johnny did not turn in his work or his project yesterday or maybe the day before or the day before. She said, because last night he took his younger sister, baby sister, out of her room and ran her over to the neighbor so that they can seek shelter and safety because my um, husband was beating on me. Okay. And she said in that moment, she was just crippled with all types of emotions, rage, <laughs> right? Hurt, right? Um, and care and concern. And she said, I don't know what to do with that. I am a teacher. I was equipped to go in and do the instructional design and to reach right. kids. And, but I don't know what to do with that. And so I think that I share that story because I do want all of us who are part of this community and listening to the conversations today to realize that when we have roles of like people that are thinking about equity, they are considering all of the other holistic needs of our kids in the education system, right? And so if they aren't well-resourced, they can't provide the resources to the teachers who are actually directly impacting the students, our kids, right? Exactly, exactly. And um, so I'm always just reminded of stories like that when I am able to connect with people like yourself, Dr. Mary, who are on the ground doing this type of work, helping to be an advocate, provide the resources, helping others to be able to navigate how to do this when I'm not well resourced, but I have the heart and the passion and I know that I have the voice to be an influence in some capacities and that that is carrying that carries some weight and that is important mm -hmm. work. And so mm -hmm. anyway, I just, I wanted to bring that to today's conversation. Um, what keeps you motivated? As I think about that story, what keeps you motivated? Because I'm sure you hear stories like this all the time, but what yeah. keeps you motivated at this work, Dr. Mary? Yeah, I mean, I'm obviously, you know, stories like that keep me motivated, right? I think, you know, hearing, talking to leaders who, despite all of the kind of, um, the, um, the noise that they're experiencing that they're keeping going. Right. So like, you know, they're, they're continuing to say, this is my fight. This is the work. And so I can't not, I can't say, oh, I'm tired because they're, you know, I, I need to be in support of them. I mean, I think, and lastly, like, this is personal. Like I have a, you know, I have a 12th grade girl. I have a, you know, a, a son in, in third grade that are, you know, both in the K to 12 system. And I, and I see a cycle, right. And like, how am I, how am I, um, breaking the cycle that my that my mom and then myself have have experienced um in education so that they are able to have a a very different experience um that mm -hmm. I that my mom had so I think that's that's always is what keeps me going and I and when I hear my daughter talk um she's super opinionated I don't know where she got that from but <laughs> she's got she's got lots of opinions and is really in just as um you know so human centered and just it has I think that is also what helps me hear her and hear her friends how they are speaking and how they want to see the world it's a very different conversation that I had when I was 17 right and so I think right. that's also what keeps me going is that our next generation are they are they're something else right they are they have all the opinions they have all this such strong belief yes. right um and they are not interested in in just following the status quo they want something completely different and they're awesome. willing to say and do whatever it needs to be done in order to make that happen. So I think that's that's definitely um keeps me going as well. That is that is so true. That's so right. Our young people are definitely um are teaching us things and we need to be paying yes. attention, right? Yes. Absolutely. 
Well, we only have a few minutes left, and I want to certainly give you time and space to close this out in whatever way that feels appropriate. But before um, I, I get you to do that, um, how have you been encouraging other um, others in the education space to navigate the challenge of how certain resources and books and content is being banned and, um, you know, not able to be leveraged for um, for the education process? How have you been? What kind of conversations are you having around that? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it, again, is, um, you know, we we have to be very um, uh, strategic, right, about kind of how we're doing this work. And I think that's why this that coalition competencies is so important. So, you know, you see in Florida how um, a lot of churches, Black churches are now teaching Black history, right? right. And so right. you see like all these different, you know, other different avenues that are lifting up and, and continuing the work that the, the within the case system can't happen. And so I think it is the responsibility of the equity officer to make that connection, right? And so, and which I think it's beautiful part is that most equity officers are already, have already done that. That has been part of their yeah. practice to bring the community in. And so that as long as they're keeping those connections so that that they can then go to a family and say, I, we can't do this, but you can go here and get the same thing, right? Right. Go over here. Um, and so, and then also just a matter of like, how do we keep it going um, in, a, in a different way and in a different space? And so I think that um, has been, um, how do I keep the work going? I may have to say it differently. I have to, may have to not use that language. I mean, I have to, I can't say equity, but I can say that all kids need this work. And who's going to argue with the fact of all students needing what they need, um, getting what they need? And so I think that has been um, a big, um, a big way of helping people really think strategically about how they keep going and doing it in community. Yeah, I have a, a higher learning institution client um, that has also changed their, their nomenclature. They no longer use diversity, equity, and inclusion now as the Office of Opportunity and Access. And so we're seeing a lot of that happening across the board. So what have I not asked you about today, Dr. Mary, as you close this out, that you're feeling a lot of energy around and perhaps you just want to amplify or socialize to this community? Let us know. Yeah, I, mean, I think the... Um the the last piece I was at well I would just emphasize the fact that do not try to do this alone <laughs> right yeah. um like this work should be done in community and if you don't have your people um you know um you need to find find your people I can help you find your people right so I you know make sure that you are connected to to others and I think the the other side of it is that also pushing the system right so um we we are in within we are in this inequitable system, but the system does have to change, right? And so, yeah. how are you? How are you um, also ensuring that you're not getting distracted by um, window dressing um, changes, mm -hmm. um, but actually doing the work that is going to get into the water of our of our systems? And so, I think that's always um, a, a big a big piece. Um, and the last thing that I always leave myself, I always wake up every morning, um, ensuring like, what more can I do today? Right. So yeah. thinking about what more I can do today. And if I'm not, um, if I'm making a decision and um, I don't feel a little bit of discomfort in my belly, that means I'm probably making a decision that's comfortable for me. And it's not going to actually going to do what needs to be done for the kids that we're here to serve. So. That is such a beautiful way to end. It's 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 about challenging ourselves to think intently about what more can we do, and not just what more can we do way down the road. What more can we do today? Let's let that impact be felt immediately. That is so beautiful. Thank you so much for leaving us with those words and all of the other nuggets that you shared today as well. We're really grateful, um, Dr. Mary, and we have shared all of your information. I do encourage this community to reach out, follow Dr. Mary, become a part of her um, newsletter subscription list, and um, and get her book. And I'm wishing you all a healthy and safe weekend. Um, hopefully we'll see you back here again next Friday for another issue of Intentional Conversations podcast. Take care. Thank you so much.